Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, how are you? I am good. I had a minor awkward experience before we jumped on to record. So somebody came to my door and I looked through the window to see who it was. And then it was this like random guy. And he's like, I just got out of prison. Would you mind having a look at some of this stuff that I'm selling? I've been given the chance to do door to door sales. And then I was like, okay, but then the window is closed, right? And then he's telling me to open the window. So you're just having this conversation through like a a closed window, through a pane of glass. Yes, but my glass is like super thin, so I can hear him really clearly. But he's telling me to open the window. He's like, I'm not a bad person. You can open the window. And then I'm like, I'm not closing my window because I think you're a bad person. This is just how I usually talk to people when they come to my door. And I felt bad because you could see that he was really triggered by the fact that I wouldn't open the window. Like him saying, I'm not a bad person. You can open the window. How bizarre. Yeah. Like the window was closed anyway. So he's going like, you should open the window to let me know, to put me at ease, even though I'm at your front door and you don't know me. And I've opened this with saying I'm just out of prison. Exactly. So I felt really bad because you could tell that this is someone that's going through a hard time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, not trying to go near the person. And then he's like, oh, open the window. I'm not a bad person. And then I'm like, oh, just show me what you have. You know, you can show me from here. And then he's like showing me the stuff that he has. And I'm like, oh, I don't even have any cash at home. So oh my gosh, I couldn't buy any if I wanted to. And then he's like, oh, we don't take cash. Um, It's all like online payments. Because I was doing this through the window, I could tell like he wasn't interested in what he was disengaging (laughs) at this point. But it was so strange for me in a couple of ways. It was strange because I was genuinely scared of the guy. Mm-hmm. Were you scared of the guy because he opened by saying, I'm just out of prison? Or do you think that you would have been equally as uncomfortable just with a stranger coming to your front door and then being like, open the window? No, but his manner was off anyway. Right. Okay. Like his manner was literally, I just got out of prison. <laughs> Even without, without saying a word. <laughs> yeah, without saying it, I was like, okay, this is a bit off. And then, and he was selling things that like I literally buy off Amazon. Mm-hmm. like the feather duster oh. he had I have that off of Amazon and a bunch of these other cleaning products and then you just feel like wow this is like a flashback to like 20 years ago like Amazon killed this entire business yeah you know and then I just felt bad because I'm like this person is clearly going through a tough time and I'm not having like the empathy for them I'm like can you go away I'm not opening yeah. my window I think things like that are hard because I think that people want to be empathetic on their own time. And so like, whereas you might help out maybe like a charity that you're donating to or whatever, it's not that you're lacking in empathy, but sometimes when you're in the sanctity of your own home and someone's just knocking and they're being quite like, oh, buy this feather duster off me, open your window. (laughs) I feel like the shutters are going to come down in terms of your willingness to then be like, yeah, actually get your card reader out. I'm going to buy a couple. It's yeah. just a change model. But then also, whenever I hear about, so I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were interviewing the CEO of this app called Nextdoor. Essentially, it's a neighborhood application. Like it's a, you know, everyone in the neighborhood gets on the app. If you've got spare boxes or things oh. you need to share with your neighbors, clever. you can share all of that on the app. Mm-hmm. But then the controversy around this app is that people would just post stuff like, oh, there's a black person in the neighborhood. <gasps> 
Stop. So there's a lot of like weird racist things going on on this application. So there would literally be a black person walking by someone's window and they'd be like, oh, there's a black person walking by. When I hear things like that, I'm like, oh my God, that's outrageous. How can you be suspicious of someone just because of the color of their skin? Mm -hmm. But then I'm in a situation where there's someone and I'm judging them. If I had the next door app, I would probably have jumped on that app being like, oh, there is some guy in the neighborhood. Wow. And Do you so know what I'm, I mean? No, it, it is so true. Now, I'm sitting in our um, office when when we do the podcast. So I'm facing out onto our road. And over lockdown, I started to notice that there was a woman. So the, the house directly across the road, I face into their garden. And they've got two really big trees, like at the back of at their end of their garden, kind of coming out onto the road. And over lockdown, I started to notice that there was a woman who would walk down our road and she'd go over to their side of the street and she'd kind of stand by their fence. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just so weird. I'm <laughs> struggling to get the sentence out. And she would start ripping leaves off the trees, but like putting them into the, the carrier bag that she had brought with her. And I'd be going, the first couple of times it happened, I'd be shouting for Charles and I'd be going, you have to see this. This is the craziest thing. And I was trying to record it on my phone, but it was like that. Obviously, we've made this joke before. We're boomers. I was recording my own face and you could just see me going, she's getting more and more leaves. Like it was insane. So I've seen her do it about four times now and for whatever reason there actually is never anybody else on the street so she never runs into anyone I never have to see how she would react if someone saw her doing it and the last time it happened I knocked on the sitting room window because the sitting room's underneath our office so I could see from there as well and Charles was like leave her alone leave her alone she's not hurting anyone but again I now think maybe I'm going to get this next door app because I want to know if anybody else on the street has noticed this. Apparently it's bigger in the US. It's a US app. But basically people end up posting about strange things they see in the mm -hmm. neighborhood. And when I was hearing about all the racial tension, I was like, oh my God, that's so awful. But then I've just been confronted with my own prejudice. Yeah. I of wasn't course. like, oh my God, great. Yeah, let me come to the front door, come in, have a cup of tea, which is what I imagine it was like in the past. Yeah, that's true. But then also, it's probably why serial killers don't have as big of a hold. And I'm not saying this man was trying to kill you, but you think about, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer or whoever, who's the one who dressed as the clown and used to be a clown at children's birthday parties. You think, well, actually, it's probably not the end of the world that we are not quite so you looking for a glass of water come on in my friend everyone has kind of what they're afraid of mm -hmm. but this person was like what I'm afraid of what are you afraid of then like I'm definitely afraid of not to be disrespectful but like chavvy white guys who look like they cause fights at football <laughs> like those are the kind of people that I'm scared of like I feel scared like those are the people that I cross the road from because I'm like oh my god they probably hate black people. Mm, okay, yeah. So there's another layer to that. Like, So I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did he react when you came to the window and you were a black woman? Do you think that there was like a flicker for him where he was like, oh, I wasn't expecting to... See, because you guys live in a really nice area. You live on a lovely street. Do you think that he yeah. thought, wow? Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I do... Obviously, when you don't know someone, you can't see how they're reacting. 
But I do know that when you, let's say you've just come out of prison, and I don't know if that's a line or if that's his actual life, but let's say you've just come out of prison and he was saying to me that if you buy something, I'll get to like have a place to sleep tonight. I don't even know what to say to that because like that's essentially the model of the big issue, isn't it? So it could be true, but it's just that you don't know enough about it to know legitimately. I don't know enough about it. This is my ID. This is my peddling license. Mm -hmm. If you buy something, I'll have a, a place to sleep tonight. And so I don't think he's thinking about my race. I think he's thinking about if that is his story, he's Mm -hmm. got other things to think about. But, you know, when we talk about implicit bias and the fact that everybody has their own prejudices, Mm -hmm. I was definitely confronted with like what I think is scary. And that's not fair on him. I suppose it isn't, it isn't. It's uh, like the truth is that it isn't. However, the counterpoint to that is that everyone has the right to define what they feel safe or unsafe in their own home. Maybe you need to get that app, see who else on your street is on it. Yeah, but they'll be saying stuff like, just saw a black guy walking through the neighborhood and it'll be my husband. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be like, yeah, I saw him too. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think I'd get an app like that. But I just think the concept is really interesting. And I think Mm -hmm. that when you are like a liberal person, and you're confronted with your own prejudices, that's interesting. I think luckily, I'm self aware enough that that was like in real time. But then Mm -hmm. obviously, as a woman, it is legitimate to feel unsafe. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think also there can sometimes be an awkwardness around talking about like when you recognize your own bias and your own kind of contradiction in terms certainly for myself when I've noticed that happening or when I've caught myself doing that or been called out doing it, there's like an embarrassment to it. So I applaud you for speaking it into existence, calling yourself out because it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And it's so funny. I do think it kind of links with this book that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. And um, if it's the first time you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't know that I have this knack of when I get into something, I get so into it. I get crazy about it. So I was so crazy about this book. I literally read it in one day. Oh, wow. It's called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And so she's an African-American author. And basically the book, I feel like if our podcast was a book, it would be this book. Okay. It's like so fun, but then it's tackling some really serious issues. Essentially, like race and class is the key theme. Okay. And like race and class intersecting. There's so much humor in it. It's Mm -hmm. so layered. I was literally like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm trying to tell my husband, oh my God, this is happening. And he's like, leave me alone. I'm not interested in your book. But I really recommend this book, guys. It's called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid. So this is the beginning of the Jules Phoebe book club as well. Yeah, I think I don't have the bandwidth to be part of an official book club, but I would love to sort of hear about the books that our listeners are reading Mm -hmm. and what they would recommend to us. And I'm super excited to get onto my second recommendation from Kachenga. It's so rare. You know, the last book I read and I had that feeling was Normal People. Oh my God. If you're putting them in the same category, then I'm definitely going to have to read it because Normal People made me feel sick. Like I loved it, but it was such a an uncomfortable look at humans and human interaction that I Mm. put it down on more than one occasion. 
Oh, no, I just devoured it. I just ate it up like lunch. I still finished it within a day, but there were points <laughs> yes. that like when I finished it, my husband was actually out that night. I may have said this on the podcast before. And when he came home, like I was still just lying, staring at the ceiling with the book on my chest. And I was just like, I can't believe I'm never going to write anything that good. Like I don't write for yeah. top, so that's probably why. But also yeah. just when you read something that's so powerful in that way that I don't know if anybody else, you know, experiences those things when you hear an exceptionally good piece of music or when you read something that really moves you, that there's a bit of almost jealousy or possessiveness to it where you think, mm. I can't believe I didn't do something that good. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think that such a fun age is as good as normal okay. people. But Normal People was the last book that I read and I couldn't put down. Mm-hmm. And I had a similar experience with this book. And I think, especially as a black female, to like read a book and like you understand the references. And I think obviously with normal people, you know, the Irishness of it all, yeah, right? Yeah. Pulls you in even more. Mm-hmm. I will say another thing about this book that I loved, you know, about Emira. Emira is 25. She doesn't know what she wants out of life. Right. She's trying to figure it out. And the challenge you have with, you know, being a black female I mean, I think that it was said really well on a podcast I listened to recently with Jamie Foxx, where advice he was given is that, you know, as a comedian, if you're black, if you're not great, you don't exist. Mm -hmm. So the challenge you have with black women is that if you're not Beyonce, if you're not Serena Williams, if you're not Michelle Obama, if you're not Ivy League educated, you don't exist. Mm -hmm. There's no like person that's just trying to figure it out. Right, right, right. And for me, that was the best thing about the book is that you had like a young girl who was just trying to figure it out. Her friends were like killing it and like way more advanced in terms of figuring out where they wanted to be, mm-hmm. upgrading in their apartments, having serious relationships. And the fact that she was the protagonist mm-hmm. and you just have a black girl that's like normal, young, trying to figure it out for yeah. me was very powerful because those women don't exist yeah they're not in the media yeah it's true and also you realize that then more and more you realize that 25 is actually such a young age you know like yeah. I think that when you are 25 you think why don't I have it together yet and then I'm sure that it just continues as you grow older because now I'm you know 28 and I'm thinking uh why don't I have it together yet why haven't I accessed that level of adulthood and it's just it's ongoing that you'll look back and think, oh, I was actually really young then as well. How much adulthood do you want? I don't want a lot, actually. I want less, but I want... Yeah, to... you're way... <laughs> you're adulting like crazy. No, I want the the adulthood that goes like, we're getting work done on our kitchen at the moment. And do you know, like calling up a workman and saying, oh, listen, we're not going to go ahead with it or, or changing plans or things like that. I hate doing that. But my husband is like, he's quite shy. And so he hates it more. So when it comes to doing grown-up phone calls, it tends to be me who does it, even though I also hate it, but I just handle it better. And so we had a conversation recently where I was like, you think that I enjoy doing these things and I really don't. I don't want to be grown-up either. Like, (laughs) I also don't want to call the council. I don't want to speak to anyone. (laughs) Life is long. Mm -hmm. Obviously, life can be short, but... Yeah, 25 is so young. 20s is so young. Like, 30s is so young. Mm -hmm. Like, just take it easy. That's what I liked about the book. But, yeah, Phoebe, how are you? I haven't really asked you about yourself, (laughs) even though you volunteered information. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I'm good. I don't really have much to report, but I did finally see my niece this weekend, baby Grace. So Grace was born back in April, but obviously with one thing and another, it's just there's been no opportunity to to actually see her. So we spent this weekend with her, which was the absolute best and just getting some baby cuddles getting to give a baby a bottle you know the whole shebang I just was in my element and it was so so nice so that was kind of like the highlight for me my husband and I would just basically said it doesn't look like it's going to calm down anytime soon we've got a brief window of opportunity let us get up there see her get some cuddles in and hopefully that'll tide us over until we get to see our nephew who lives in Spain or until we get to see our niece again. So mm-hmm. big time broody. <laughs> yeah. And that's so, so funny because I think when we started the podcast or ever since I've known you, you've always been like, oh, I don't want kids, not interested, not interested. Yeah. Um, and then I think you were one of the first people that I know that was like not interested. Yeah, I know. And so what has made you change perspective on that? It's been a couple of things, but you are so right. And I was always quite kind of, when people would say, oh, you'll change your mind, I would be thinking that's so disrespectful, which, you know, it is if someone you know is saying that they are not going to have children, I think that you should let them, if they are going to change their mind, give them the freedom to change their mind without being like, oh, Juliet's going to say, I told you so, or something like that, you know? But to be perfectly honest, if I had to look at one thing in particular that really shifted it for me, it was when my husband's dad died, when my father-in-law passed away. For me, it really kind of put into sharp relief, you know, how important family is, how you need people around you, and how I've led most of my life with a network, with a safety net, things like that. So I guess it was just percolating in the back of my head. I kept thinking about it more and more. And thinking about, you know, we spoke last week about imposter syndrome and timelines and all of the rest of it. And I think, again, holding myself to account, I've got an anxious personality, which does make me over plan things. And I kept thinking, we can't just wait for it to happen. It has to be a decision. It has to be a conversation. It has to be da, 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 da. Then when people in your circles start having babies, you start to think, not that it's not a big deal, but that it's an achievable thing. I think it helps that my brother and sister-in-law are the most chilled out people you would ever meet. And so when we were coming back to London last night, I was saying to Charles, I feel that they almost give me an unrealistic idea of what having children is like, because they're just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Take it as it comes. Nothing phases them. They're just like, oh, she's probably hungry. Baby didn't cry all weekend. And my sister-in-law kept saying to me, I just want you to know she's not actually like this all the time. Like, this is not realistic because I'm like Mm. she's so happy oh my god all she does is eat and sleep and want a cuddle so it's just it was that really is the defining moment when my mind started to change but then as time has gone on and other people are talking about having babies and things like that it's kind of solidified for me but it goes to show you think you know yourself very well I don't feel you know yourself until you are like in your late 20s yeah And even then, there's still room for like you changing your mind. And that's completely fine. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. And, and also realizing the the curveballs that will be thrown at you. And actually, we've got a really interesting guest on talking with us today, who will speak, I would imagine to this in a bit more detail. But like, what you think is going to be your reality often turns out not to be and you need some lived experience before you can speak to that in any real detail it's worth remembering although I do think in the same breath 
if you're surrounded with good people, hopefully when you do flip flop or do a 180 or, you know, think, oh, actually, I know I said that I would never be a stay at home mom, but I am going to be a stay at home mom. Or if I never wanted more than three kids or blah, 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 whatever. Hopefully you're surrounded with people who will just be like, oh, you changed your mind. That's cool. And won't hold you to what you said when you were 21 or when you were 25 or when you were 30 or whatever that you have. Or what you said last week. Or what you said yesterday. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Come on. Completely agree. You know, as I mentioned, we've got a really interesting guest on who I think can speak to the feelings around that and the idiosyncrasies of that, I suppose, in more detail. So I'm really excited to invite Robin to the podcast. Robin is a writer, Instagrammer professional show off a friend of my husband's and you may know her from Instagram as almost everything off eBay which has recently made the switch to around Robin. Robin I'm so happy that you could join us for the podcast this evening. Thanks for having me. Such a buzz I've been following obviously it sounds so trite but I've been following your journey on Instagram because I knew you beforehand and it's so interesting to me to see how you've really created this organic growth where you've got this incredible community and even though that's not what we're looking to talk to you about this evening I would love to hear you talk about that in a little bit of detail because I find it so fascinating when someone does something like that becomes part of a community that they've kind of cultivated in a very grassroots way and so when you started almost everything off eBay what was the kind of the thought process behind that? There wasn't really. It was like an online scrapbook for my house. So we got a new house and all my friends were so bored of me being like, look at my wallpaper, isn't it wonderful? And they were like, I've seen this in real life, so I'm fine, thanks. So I was like, right, I'll just do an Instagram for it. And then people really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, I'm getting attention. This is fantastic. <laughs> so carried on. And then I just realised it was the gateway to a lot of the things that I'd wanted to do for a really long time, ironically writing. Mm -hmm. So it was this way to pave a way into writing that I wouldn't have done and been able to do anyway, even though it's a really visual medium. And I think that also a lot of what you were doing aesthetically on the ground was so different. Like you very much so, I don't want to overuse the word organically, but you know, in terms of the color palettes that you put together, it's very, very different. And obviously that quickly got a kind of a cult following. And last I checked, you were on almost 100,000 followers, which is, that's only in the space of a little over a year, right? Two years. I I love it. Yeah. But that's more than Anfield Stadium, I think. That's that Mm. just wants to see my house which is the same I'm really surprised because when I look at my house I don't think it's that different from other people's houses but I think that is very personal and I think what's quite different and what I write about is quite personal and people want to connect with individuals and I think that's what made people maybe connect with what it was because lots of the things are kind of family heirlooms or heirlooms that makes them sound much grander than they are or that I have a real connection to or things that I talk about passionately rather than this is a great interior decoration choice I have made for the following reasons this makes me feel a certain way because of this story and that's Emma as well we've always cared about how homes made us feel rather than how they look in terms of Instagram and interiors a lot of what we're seeing looks alike and what I've loved about your Instagram or almost everything off eBay it's like a really sort of high volume sound but everything comes together Yeah. And that's really what I found attractive. And I think that I'm so interested in that as well, because certainly I I would imagine like as 
as followers started to pour in, and as you said yourself, there was a, a gateway there from when you were talking about these kind of heirloom pieces or these pieces that made you feel a certain way that had a link to family. And when you started talking, you know, specifically about estrangement, which you have yeah. spoken about at length and written about and, you know, guested on other podcasts about as well, was there part of you that thought, oh, are people just going to want to say, shut up and show us your wallpaper? Or did you feel there was enough of a community for it to be a natural thing? I think I never, I was never invested in what I was doing in a way that it mattered if people didn't like that side to me. Mm -hmm. It's always been a very personal feed. And I just treated it as an extension of who I am, but a curated extension of who I am. So I knew that, and I know there's certain things I put on my feed that people will unfollow, Mm -hmm. personal things and political things but I'm not going to stop doing it because then Mm -hmm. I would get nothing from posting you know I post because of the wonderful conversations I have or the feelings that it creates or the conversations it starts or the friendships it starts or the commonality you find and estrangements more than anything is something that people whisper about and to be able to speak to people who have not felt empowered to speak about their experience and then say I feel so relieved to feel like I'm seen it works the same way for me to speak to someone who's had the same experience I'm like oh this is amazing because you don't come across that very often so I think I knew that some people wouldn't like it but I'd rather have a smaller kind of following Mm -hmm. and have people that are really interested in the whole thing and and authentically who I am and part of my home is my taste and my taste is informed by my experiences and my experiences of life have included estrangement which definitely have a massive impact on me having to make a home and how important my home is if I'd have had a really comfortable family life I imagine it wouldn't have been as essential to me to create the home that I needed so yeah I just didn't really care (laughs) I just think that point that you've made about people whispering about estrangement I just think for me that's such a signpost and how does somebody go from whispering because there's a level of shame you know when you have family relationships that break down and like your family is not like the fresh prince family for example there's a level of shame that comes with that can we know a bit more about your journey and how you've sort of reconciled these things to the point where you can speak so openly it sounds really perverse but I'm lucky in that I am estranged for reasons that are incredibly clear-cut and if I say them to people are like okay I get that and my family are on board because they're like I can't justify this my mum for as long as I can remember had been physically and mentally abusive towards me like my earliest memory is her with her hands around my throat because I'd done something she didn't want like I've had hypnosis and stuff around that and you know that has always been who she was to me so people can't go oh but it's your mum because they're like oh yeah that's too far but there's no too far when it comes to your own, you knowing your own limits, you know, someone could be incredibly negative to you mentally, and that's your limit. And that's absolutely fine. But for me, you know, I grew up in the household of two addicts, my dad, who was a really jolly alcoholic, and my mum, who was not jolly, and had substance abuse issues, and a narcissist and incredibly volatile. So as soon as I could kind of make choices about when I wanted to around me, I've had periods of estrangement. So this has been from kind of when I was a teenager. I haven't lived with her since I was nine, because she, le- she left when we were nine, and my dad brought us up, kind of stopped drinking like a pro and dedicated eight years to, well, he thought it'd be eight years. My brother only left home this year, and he's 33, um, to bringing up these kids, because he knew that without 
him we'd go to my grandparents or possibly into care and stuff so I have this story that people kind of can buy into which is such a shame because it shouldn't take someone to be that bad for someone to understand you not having them in your life I always bring it back to I say that if my mum was my partner you wouldn't ask why I don't speak to her you wouldn't ask why I'd stop that relationship and you wouldn't ask that if someone said this partner gaslighted me this partner you know made my life really difficult but yeah, that's my journey is kind of an extreme version. Thus, it makes it really easy for me to talk about it. And I, I guess to that point, though, even though you say things are super clear cut, like you make an interesting point there about, you know, if it was my partner. And often, you know, people say, as you pointed out, well, that's your family. You know, you can choose your friends. You can't choose your family. There's an aspect of being able to walk away here. Did you find that when you started articulating it under the term estrangement, that people had a more visceral reaction than if you just said, I don't really speak to my mum? Yeah, I think once you formalise it and give it a name, people kind of, I, well, people, a lot of people don't know what estrangement mm-hmm. means. A lot of people who are estranged, like, I didn't know there was a word for it. And you formalise and then it becomes real and then it becomes something that could be permanent and things. And I think people do sort of go, oh, really, you're going to put a term on that? And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I am put a term on that like I'd put a term on divorce but it definitely kind of makes people react more I guess and how that's looked to you in terms of building a home creating a family and you know in light of what Juliet and I were discussing earlier on in the podcast about you know having children making those choices a lot of the time if I refer to myself and my husband as a family people will be like it's just the two of you so Do you find that there was difficulty even in the parameters of that, of you being like, no, I'm making my own home now, I'm making my own family, and the idea that, well, how could that be fully formed? Definitely. And I think as as a woman who doesn't want children, people cannot understand that. My family is my friendship network Mm -hmm. and my husband. And people also find that really hard to digest. Like, I'm incredibly close to my friends and I count them as family. Like, there's a few female friends I have that is a sister to me Mm -hmm. because they provide support they understand me on a level that my siblings don't understand me so I think people fall into different kind of camps if you've had a fairly conventional family life you can't comprehend any different and it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to look at it because you either have to look back inwards at your own or look outwards to unpleasantness that you don't want to you know we don't want to see unpleasantness that's why it's so easy to not look at any issue outside Mm -hmm. what affects us directly so it's a hard one to kind of be like, yeah, no, I'm abs- this is this is why I'm absolutely fine. I'm happy with my family, what the things I've created. But anyone who understands it, it's like, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I've got these little ragtag bunch of people who are incredibly emotionally damaged. You ring <laughs> up and be like, I feel sad. I bought a thousand pounds worth of clothes. Am I broken? And someone's <laughs> like, nah, you buy those clothes. <laughs> yes, you get me. Enable me. Yeah. Juliet and I have touched on the, the topic of estrangement before and we've spoken about it in I guess language that I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on because a lot of the time when you talk about estrangement you talk about it like with a feeling of peace around it like setting your own boundaries protecting yourself and I can imagine that it's easy for someone who has had as normal a life as myself to say things like that because it negates the amount of work that you have to do on that journey and you know, you've spoken a little bit about that journey already, but in terms of the healing that you had to do to really make peace with your decision, I'm assuming that that isn't linear and that there are backstops and that you think, yeah. have I made a mistake, for example? 
Yeah, I think of my journey with my relationship with my mom a lot like my dad's journey with alcoholism in that you look in it all the time and at times of high stress it comes back and you think do I want this do I need this or what if she dies in my early 20s and my teenagehood all I could think about was I am a person that even my mother couldn't love and that informed everything it informed the romantic choice I made I went out with some men who just treat my fucking shit but the fact they were there was Mm. enough and everything was just this oh I just wanted to love me I wanted to accept me I wanted her to think I'm great and then my nan died and the minute my nan died I realized she was my mum in all the important ways I was like no what have you done but it was a freedom that I was like mm-hmm. I have been searching for this relationship that I'd had all along I'd had the support and the kind of innate understanding and that closeness that you just need to still pick up the phone now even though mm-hmm. she's been gone for 11 years I'd had that all along and it's something really odd to say but my nan leaving was really valuable to me in that it stopped that really negative kind of focus on my relationship with my mum because I realized it just slipped away it didn't matter because I'd I'd lost the person who actually had provided that all along I'm interested in exploring the cultural aspects of this because like my mom is not my best friend so I think it happens a lot of the time in African families where you can end up with a very formal relationship with your parents so they provide shelter they provide food they take care of you and then your job is to get good grades and to make the family look good and to get Mm. into good schools get a good job and then have like a really big wedding that your mom can dunk on her friends about yeah so that's essentially sort of like the framework I don't think it would be socially acceptable to be estranged yeah so in terms of like your community and sort of being able to creating a safe space where people can discuss estrangement have Mm. you noticed some differences from a cultural perspective absolutely absolutely and actually Candice Brathwaite was talking about the expectations of being a black child and how you are then supporting your parents and taking a step back and saying, actually, this is what I need is very difficult. I don't have that kind of expectation to be a good child. I eloped to get married and no one cared. And I think if, you know, my nan had been around, that would be different. And there's something quite different about the kind of mother daughter dynamic to the father daughter dynamic. So I've got a very casual kind of circle around me. But definitely people have messaged me and said, you know, estrangement is rife within the Muslim community, but kind of child to parent. So children make choices that parents don't agree with and then parents cut them off and things. So I think, yeah, it's the way we are estranged and and how we can communicate that is as different and varied as we are. Um, And it's fascinating in how it can be dealt with and I feel very lucky that I I sit in a position of privilege where basically I feel like I can make those choices and there's going to be no repercussions from anyone in my immediate family Mm. but I'm very aware that that's not the case for a lot of a lot of people yeah I think that's something just sort of hearing you speak I think it's so brave to be able to set a boundary and we always talked about this from the beginning of our our relationship from the beginning of our podcast (laughs) We always talked about the importance of setting boundaries. But when I think about this from like my cultural context mm-hmm. and my and my family is quite relaxed compared to a lot of African families, like it's not the most uh, strict environment. 
but you would, especially if you now look at it from a Muslim context or sometimes from a South Asian context, you lose everything. I'm halfway through a novel I started writing 10 years ago. And again, travellers, there is complete control. You couldn't be estranged from anyone in a traveller community because there's those incredibly tight family ties. I think if you live in a community that has very stringent views on roles within families, then you're going to find it much more difficult to break them down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that privilege of living in kind of a quite bohemian working class, but with the freedoms of middle class living in the countryside, do what you wantness. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, know that, I know that I'm very lucky that I don't feel a weight of that expectation from other people. In terms of your relationship then with, say, grief and estrangement, so you mentioned that it was a very kind of seismic moment when your grandmother passed away and how that kind of realisation, actually, she was the mother I had had all along. Did you feel then in the grief that you had for her, the, shall we say, quote unquote, real grief that you had for her and the relationship that you had, was there an aspect of also grieving for your mother and the relationship that you never got to have? Or did that come early? I think that just fell away. I think that felt, I think I was sad about it, but I was always hopeful I'd have it. And Mm. then, like, when Nan died, I was just like, I don't know. It just didn't really matter anymore. And, like, we were in touch a bit, but I just was like, you are, like, my irritating friend now. My mum is really interesting, really funny, really kind of vibrant person, as most narcissists are. You know, there's a reason people are attracted to narcissists. So Mm. she's loads of fun to be around, and then she flips like that. And I was just like, when she flipped, I'd just be like, by then whereas before I'd be like why don't you love me I was just like I'd like I'm too tired I've got enough on I don't need to hear this when you talk about like friendships and being able to cultivate friendships that are healthy when you've come from an unhealthy traumatizing familial background how does that work because like you said a lot of the time you know you end up in toxic relationships Mm. how do you tear that down Mm. I don't really know I think we all have a little sonar inside us that says help me I'm broken and you tend to attract like often or people who can take advantage of that but I think as you get older you are better at identifying the people who will take advantage of that and you are surrounded by more and more people that are like you that sort of go that person's terrible don't have them in your life and I had kind of in my early 20s again friendships that were very that replicated that relationship I had with my mum in a really weird way and they were very very close and very intense and at times really healthy because they were rehashing that relationship but also terrible so I think it's hard not to get into a cycle where you're just repeating that. Knowing that now you know that you have a, a significantly large following Do you ever think when a time comes that you do speak about estrangement and you speak about it in specific terms, I am estranged from my mother, do you ever think, oh, God, I hope she doesn't see this? Or is it like, I don't care? I went so under when I did Clemmie Telford's podcast. I was like, what if she hears this and is so hurt? But then it was like, she's going to be hurt hearing what she did mm-hmm. that can't be on me and I've always verbalized what's happened to me I've never hidden it even as a teenager I'd be like yeah no you know my mum was violent or my parents were addicts and stuff I was never ashamed of a situation I couldn't control so I've always talked about it my friends have always known about it whereas I knew for them it was all very hushed and I'd like I had friends whose parents were having various issues 
but it wasn't talked about. And I was like, but this isn't your problem. If you hold the weight of the issue, then it hurts you as much as it hurts them. So I always talked about it liberally and and was luckily brought in a family. There were other kind of, there was abuse in other areas and family members talked about their abuse and it enabled me to talk about mine. And so I just thought, I can't spend my life not doing things that make me feel better about a situation I couldn't control Mm -hmm. because it might hurt someone who caused that situation. Um, My mum, she won't even register. She will look at that. And I don't even think she will hear the words. I've said to her before, why did you do this? What does this mean to you? And she literally looks into the middle distance. It's just doesn't permeate. It's, It's really weird. Basically, it just sounds like you just were lucky enough to, as a child, already know this is not my fault. And then you were already talking about it. So if somebody got offended, that was their problem. Yeah. And then as an adult, you were slowly able to kind of work through some of this baggage and some of the the challenges around how you were brought up. Mm. And then like a phoenix, you just rose (laughs) from the ashes. Does that summarise things? Yeah, sometimes I feel like a phoenix and sometimes I just feel like a slug. Just lay there like, I'm broken, this is ruined, I've done it all wrong, what if I can't make it? But feeling empowered to know that what had happened wasn't my fault was instrumental in any kind of healing around it. Because it just takes one thing off your plate. When you feel like you're spinning plates anyway, you're like, well, I can look at this with distance because it's not my problem I didn't create this problem I just think in terms of the social media age and the fact that you have a following on Instagram we're in an age where people are going more and more and more towards perfection Mm. or to presenting the perfect life the perfect relationship the perfect job the perfect house and like we said at the beginning of the show everything looks alike so I know that sort of Phoebe said that you've grown your online following organically, but did you make a conscious decision at any point to say, I'm going to be me? Or is it just so natural? Like, did you ever want to sort of cover up? <laughs> no, I just, I think I, I've had, weirdly, whenever I speak about estrangement, I have at least one big Instagram. I say, I'm exactly the same and they won't speak about it. And I understand that's their journey and they're really uncomfortable and there's expectations and you just can't judge anyone else. But the vast amount of people who have complicated families, everyone's got a complicated family, but just cannot talk about that. I find astounding because I think, well, what you're projecting is fiction. And to an extent, everything we project is a fiction. You know, no one sees if I have a massive row with my husband because no one needs to. That's boring. And also who's got the time but to just say everything is perfect all the time is a boring and b not interesting that's the same point and c a lie it's a falsehood and I never wanted to be that I think I started speaking about it because I chat on stories and I'd said look I don't have my mum in my life and then people are like what and I never get the amount of dms that I get than when I say I'm estranged of people just being like oh talking about this and I know that because of your journey with that, and we've spoken about it on the the Instagram and on our stories as well, you and Emma both came up with this incredible idea of Others Day, where it was, a, you know, an opportunity for children in the lead up to Father's Day or Mother's Day, you know, kind of specifically, to feel seen and feel recognised. And I think that, you know, just hearing you talk about it and hearing what Jules had to say as well I think that it's such an interesting idea that people are allowed to reframe what family looks like 
And, you know, we, we touched on a little earlier in the podcast about also having the freedom to change your mind and bring back those boundaries and say, actually, I flip flopped on that, which again, the idea is obviously that social media should allow you to do those things. It more often than not is not the case. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's something really powerful in you cultivating something that has literally touched, you know, all corners of the globe. I think you've had people in Australia, in the US, like all over the place, yeah. acknowledging and, and recognizing Others Day. And I just wonder, does the enormity of that ever hit you and you think, geez, I was just talking about my mum or I was just talking about my nan. I guess what I'm trying to say is, did you ever feel that when you were talking about this, I know I can't be the only one? Or did the reactions and responses from people surprise you nevertheless, even though you knew that you weren't at fault in these relationships? I think I knew that people felt the same frustrations I did about Mother's and Father's Day and how the marketing for that has just amped up massively in kind of the last few years. And anyone I knew in a similar situation would be like, have you got like a thousand emails? Yeah. Yes, I have. Is someone asking you to go for a Toby Carvery with your mum? Yes, they are. Is your mum dead? Yes, they are. So I knew that it kind of affected a lot of people, but the way it affects people and kind of the scale of the hurt, it's both humbling to have that shared with you and terrifying to feel like you're responsible and you want to say something helpful to every single person you want to say the thing that you wish someone had said to you and it feels terrifying that you could get it wrong because it's so high stakes and it's so different between the two days you know mother's day is little broken birds predominantly like 99.9 percent people be like i desperately miss my mom my mom was incredible and then there's one percent like me that's like she's just fucked off whereas father's day is so angry There's a lot of anger in Father's Day and a lot of people who are bereaved. But I think the majority of Father's Day, Other's Day is he just left me and confusion and anger and stuff. So kind of seeing it play out and how individual it was, was kind of amazing. And also like, God, we've got a big responsibility here to handle this correctly. Who's the big writer that talks about estrangement? The only high profile person I know who talks and and hasn't written about it, and she better not write back before I do, (laughs) is Sally Hughes. She is the Guardian beauty woman and has various books out and set up the Facebook Necessary Family Estrangement Group, which is where I direct people to if they're like, where are the resources for this? I'm like, well, you should probably just join that group for one. And apart from that, no one. But there are lots of famous people who have had very complicated relationships with their parents and talk about it, but no one has taken the step to dig down into it. I think because it's such a taboo. If we look at, you know, and hopefully this is okay, if we look at your mum, for example, Robin, she's an addict and then Mm -hmm. she's a narcissist on top of that, right? Mm -hmm. There is a specific challenge here, like it's a health issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... When you think about Mother's Day, you think about Father's Day, a lot of the time when there is a toxic relationship with the mother, there is a health issue, there's a mental health issue, yeah. there is an addiction issue, and then yeah. that relationship has broken down. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you said, sometimes with Father's Day, it's like, oh, he had the choice, he had all of his faculties, and he decided to to leave. Mm. But there's an equal amount of pain in both scenarios I mentioned that I met my niece for the first time this weekend but like when she was smiling at her dad my brother-in-law like I was saying things like oh she's a daddy's girl and the thing is you know 
I am sure that she will grow up and she'll love her dad, you know, once it gets to a mm. point where she is developmentally at that stage where she's saying, I love you or showing love or whatever. But we do push tropes. We mm. do push the trope of from a certain age to a certain age, a girl will be a daddy's girl. And then once she moves out, once she ages out of that bracket, that's when her mum is supposed to become her best friend. Mm. And two very clear kind of defined areas there. It's like, in a similar way, you've got mummy's boy and then you've got, you know, son and dad down the pub playing football together. And you don't realise basically how nonsensical those are Mm. until you start to talk about it. And just when you guys were were saying that, when you were saying that, Jules, I was thinking earlier on today, I was chatting to my husband. We still haven't seen our nephew, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, well, you know, baby boys tend to be more clingy. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, no, uh, boys tend to be more clingy. I was like, what is that based on? And I was trying to be like, let me not come out and say that's bullshit straight out the gate. And he was going, just something I've heard. And I was like, where have you heard that from? He's like, listen. It's nonsense. As soon as I said it, I knew it was nonsense. But you had to, you had to keep going with it. And it is so true that we really push expectations of parental relationships from a young age. It must be really hard. I would imagine, Robin, that you are a rarity in, as Jules said earlier, knowing from a young age that you were not at fault. And even if it took, I guess, for want of a more sensitive term, if it took a while for the estrangement to stick as you went back and forth, I can imagine that most people have that kind of come to Jesus moment much later on in life. Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of angry middle-aged women who are like, I have had enough. And maybe it's through having healthy relationships with their own children. But Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are still in that relationship. They can't break that kind of cycle. Just because of societal expectations, people think you're cruel, that you're cold. And I've doubled down on that by not having children as well. So everyone's like, are you even a real woman? A lot of the time, what people don't have, they want to replicate. So I think, oh, like my mum is not my best friend. Mm. I'm not saying that I want to be the best friend of my children my future children mm. um but I definitely yeah I want them to hang out with me more <laughs> I want us to hang out you know um and it's so funny because Phoebe's mum like follows our podcast Phoebe's yeah. mum will be there like commenting and liking and then I'm like that's not an expectation that I would have of my mum yeah. it's like mm-hmm. it's completely different like cultures but like I would think, oh my gosh, I want to be like the mom that's like commenting mm-hmm. on like the podcast. I want to be the mom that's like on her kid's podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to be like completely overdoing it. <laughs> you won't like, know the parameters. I won't know the boundary. I'll be like, oh my God, please be friends with me. Please be friends with me. Please be friends with me. I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, and the kids and their friends will be like, oh my God, like your mom needs to leave us alone. <laughs> you know so it is interesting that you're like yeah I'm not interested in that definitely and I think it's really interesting getting messages off people because some people are like I found this so restorative having children and it just 
changed me and I realized I could have healthy relationships and I'm like when I hear that I'm like I'm so happy for you like I I can see their joy in what they've created for themselves but for myself it's just I never wanted it I've never actively thought I would like a child and b I have a lot of qualities that are like my mom and I'm not confident I'd do a good job so I'm not going to do it I think parenting is such an incredible responsibility like there is no other responsibility that is that crucial because you literally shape a life and if you're not confident you're going to do it right then don't bother and I'm not I think that that is so fascinating because I also think as much as we don't talk about estrangement we certainly don't talk about expectations and the weight of what those expectations can end up looking like and if it's the case that in a lot of ways you have ticked the box for example, you know, heterosexual, married, you have a home together, you yeah. have two dogs, you know, there's yeah. a healthy marriage dynamic there. It's almost like I can imagine people take it as an affront that you're pulling back the last box and you're saying, listen, the kid yeah. part isn't something that we want to fulfill. Yeah. And I think people take it as a judgment as well. People find things like that really hard to deal with. Again, my dad, I come back to my dad a lot, but People judge my dad's not drinking because he thinks that he judges them for drinking. He doesn't care that they drink. He's like, have a lovely time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I love children. I love my friend's children. I get so much from being part of my friend's children's lives. And I think being a adult supportive role in a child's life that is not a parent is so important as well. I made it because I had people who weren't my mum who supported me, whether they were teachers, friends' parents. There are a couple of friends' parents that I refer to as mum because I'm so close to them. And being that person is a big deal. And I feel incredibly kind of blessed to have those relationships kind of starting off with friends' children. And I know that's enough for me, but going all in on it, I just don't think I could do it. But that I can I can be kind of the person that's like, come on, let's take you to the STD clinic. We won't tell your mother. Or, you know, that person that sits outside of the parameters of your parents, but offers a support that is kind of crucial, definitely to me as a child. I've learned so much on the podcast in the sense that a year ago, when somebody said, I don't want kids, and then they're like in their 50s, 60s, and they don't have kids, and they say that they're happy, I would never believe them. I'm like, this is impossible and whenever I would google women I would like google them and I google their net worth and then I google do they have kids yeah and then for me I'm like okay great I I still rate you and then if they're like super successful but like they don't have children which for me in my mind was like the completion of the family I'm like they don't have it I'm like oh my god that's so sad so for years I was like man I really hope Serena Williams has a child I really hope Serena Williams has a child and um and then eventually when she got married and she did it was like oh my god like thank you so much yeah and then when Nipsey Hussle passed away we were like oh my god thank god he has children mm-hmm. yeah. and then I think somebody passed away so obviously Chadwick Boseman passed away yeah and then it was like my immediate thought was like oh my god it's such a shame he doesn't have children and I don't know if that's a cultural thing because still with African people there is still that, um, and I don't know if it's something that we want or something that we're socialized into, but like the not not just family, but like the nuclear family unit, yes. the um, importance of it varies from culture to culture. Mm-hmm. But like you have some cultures where it's like protect it at all costs yes. to the point where it is detrimental to the children, which I don't accept. 
But it's only now, I think, by having friends like Phoebe and a few others that I'm like, it's not the be all and end all. But it really was for me. But I do think that that is definitely not just African culture. And the reason that I say that is because of the fast times at Ridgemont High reading this past weekend, where Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston were reunited. And the whole thing was like, oh, it was a power move. Like I put it on my Instagram stories where it was like, hey, Aniston. And she's like, hey, Pitt, how are you doing? He's like, good, good. How are you? And she's like, good, honey. And everyone's talking about the power in that. Because when they split, she was poor Baron Den. And the fact that he left her for Angelina Jolie and then they went on to have six children, it was like, well, poles apart. You've got this barren husk of a woman and you've got this fertile goddess. So I think that I think what you're doing is so important, Robin, basically. And even though I I know that it's not your only job, but I think that the fact that you are speaking about and acknowledging and identifying these standards and these expectations and these defaults I think that it's so powerful because as Juliet says you know you've opened at least one mind to it but also it's just enabling other people to also talk about it and say I'm not sure I want that or I don't think I want that person there I don't need to be that close to them which doesn't happen enough and it's not like I I do this I look at people who don't have children who are women never men women and think god are you lonely and I hate myself for it but there is that thing that's like shit like there is between like your 50s and 70s what you're doing grandchildren and (laughs) and it's like I have said to all my friends what's going to happen is the child who I love the most will get my inheritance so they better look (laughs) after me when I'm old I've got a contingency plan But there is that fear because we live in a society you're looked after by the generation before you and I will not have that safety net. And that sometimes I'm like, shit, am I making a mistake? That is not a good excuse to have a child though for me. I'm like, you're you're birthing a carer there. (laughs) But I do have that morbid like, well, what's filled it for you? Like Jennifer Aniston, like, what are you doing instead? And I'm doing it so I know what she's doing. Yeah, but she's still young, like 50s guys. 50s and rich. She doesn't want kids. She doesn't want kids. There's always been, you know, she's always been sprinkling like, oh, maybe she, the reason that Jennifer Aniston has had to be so ambiguous about the fact that she does not want children is because we have a preconception of what childless by choice looks like. And as you said, Robin, it's like, oh, there must be something wrong with you. Yeah. You're mean, you're cold. mm -hmm. But childless and rich... It's very different because I'll see like my neighbours who are like by themselves and like old Mm -hmm. and you know it's not fun but like I agree like you shouldn't have children just so you have company and a lot of the time the kids don't care about you anyway. I was just gonna say you might you know you might try so hard to be their friend that they're like snip snip either way like god damn it. Exactly that's why I'm trying to take care of my husband so we can just ride it out together. (laughs) Yeah. We'll make it to 115. Fact. <laughs> Robin, it's been so amazing having you on. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed our chat this evening. And I think that a lot of our listeners will too, because I think this really speaks to a lot of pertinent points for you know what our demographic really is talking about and thinking about. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you so much, Robin. Like my eyes are open. I hope that I don't sound 
ignorant and naive to people that listen to the podcast but like this was such a refreshing conversation you can find robin on around.robin on instagram if you have any questions about the resources that we've mentioned over the course of this episode obviously feel free to reach out thank you for listening thanks for listening guys follow us on instagram share the podcast with a friend thank you bye bye, bye.